Thanks for joining us and welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Periodically, we'll bring you true stories of angelic encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. When we come back, we'll begin our next episode. Hello again and welcome back. Today we're going to talk about angels, in particular guardian angels. I got some great stories from a website called Paranormal Rising and uh, I think you'll enjoy these inspiring stories of real-life people who've encountered their guardian angel. So without further ado, enjoy these stories of guardian angels. Apologies in advance for any inconsistencies. I remember the main points, but details are a bit fuzzy. When I was five, my family moved into an apartment with three bedrooms, which was very exciting for me. This meant my three-year-old sister and I no longer had to share a room. Our parents separated our bunk beds, so we each had a somewhat taller than standard twin bed. One Saturday, I was awake before the crack of dawn, as most small kids tend to do on the weekends, and was playing in my room, waiting on everybody else to wake up. There was suddenly a really pretty woman with long dark hair in my room. I had no fear, no concern, not even any shock. I just felt like it was completely okay, and normal for her to be there. I don't remember much specifically, but the only thing I do remember is that I thought that she was very pretty, and that made me feel very calm, and as I mentioned before, she had very long dark hair. She told me to go tell my mom that there's something wrong with her baby, so I did. When my mom recounts this story, She says that was the thing that got her attention the most. I always called my sister Sissy, so she thought it was odd that I would say that there's something wrong with your baby, instead of perhaps saying something like, there's something wrong with Sissy, which would be more appropriate for a five-year-old. It caught her attention enough to get her out of bed and go and check on my three-year-old sister. Being small kids who were prone to nighttime accidents, we both had the original factory plastic on our mattress with a waterproof cover over it, and finally the sheets. In her sleep, my sister had somehow managed to wrap her neck in not only the sheet, but also the cover in plastic, and was semi-unconscious and turning bluish and purple. She had almost managed to 
scoot herself between the mattress and the headboard for some reason. It was a dire situation as she was wedged half upside down between the bed and the wall with her head down. My mom yelled and my dad came in and ended up having to break the headboard to extract my sister, who was thankfully fine. At some point, I don't remember when, I told my mom about the lady and how she told me something's wrong with your baby. I hadn't even actually set foot in my sister's room to see for myself if she was okay. I just ran and got my mom and told her what was going on because of the advice of that woman. Additionally, a few months and a couple of years later or so, while visiting my grandparents, I ended up finding a picture of the lady with the long dark hair. It turns out she was my grandpa's mom, who was mostly Cherokee and had died very young of pneumonia. In 2016, I was on my way back to Athens where I was living at the time. I lost control of my car in Lagrange and ended up flipping an estimated 7 to 10 times before coming to completely blind with blood and vomit covering me from the accident because I couldn't see and I was too far from the road to even hear cars. I just began to have a panic attack screaming and crying and trying to figure my way out of the woods by touch. It seemed as soon as I got out of the car and took a few steps, I felt someone come and scoop me up and carry me to the other side of the road. When I finally regained my sight, 30 minutes to an hour later, I was met with a face of one of the most uniquely beautiful men I had ever seen. He seemed mixed, half black and half white, with blonde curly hair and striking like green eyes. He told me his name was Uriah and he pulled me out of my car. Somehow he also had my phone and got in touch with my parents and he also stayed with me until the paramedics arrived. I've looked up every Uriah in the state of Georgia that has a Facebook account and none of them are him. I believe he called my mother once from his own phone while he was with me, but she was unable to find his number again once she came to the hospital and I asked her about him. We wanted to thank him for saving me, but we've never been able to find him again and there's no man by that name mentioned in the police report as any kind of a witness, which you would think he would be since he was the one who first reached me and helped me. Uriah in Hebrew means Yahweh is my light, or at its most basic, light or flame. I believe Uriah was an angel sent to rescue me. He was my light when I couldn't see and felt like my soul was crushed in on itself from the panic and just the entire incident. Uriah, if you ever see or hear this, thank you.
My aunt used to tell this story of an old man that came to her house out in the country. She'd been hanging clothes on the line, and her house sat in the center of an acre of mowed land, surrounded by barren carrot fields. It was late fall during the year, and when the fields are bare, she would just stand on her porch and see down both sides of the only road that ran directly in front of her house a good mile or so. Anyways, she's hanging clothes and hears this pounding sound and looks but doesn't see anything. There aren't any cars that have been through, so she goes into her house from the back door to see where this sound is coming from. Just as she's making her way through the house, the pounding starts again, and she realizes that it's somebody knocking on her front door. So she makes her way through the house and goes to see who it is. Standing there is this little old man dressed in a complete suit with a hat, and he looks very dingy and dirty, like he hasn't taken a bath in many, many months with his hair that is as white as snow. She asks him what he wants and he says he's lost and a long way from home and thirsty and if she could spare a glass of water. She stares at him and is mesmerized by his stunning sharp blue eyes and his smile which shows perfect white teeth. She debates letting him in and decides against it and tells him to have a seat on the porch and in a moment she'll be out to bring him his glass of water. She is overwhelmed with the feeling that this man for some reason is not human but otherworldly and she says a prayer for herself since she's home alone. She pours him a large glass of lemonade and fixes him a sandwich and she puts it on a paper plate and takes it out to this old man. He is ecstatic to see the sandwich and thanks her quickly and eats it as soon as he gets it and also quickly finishes the lemonade. She asks if he wants more and he says no, that he is grateful for her kindness, but he must be going. She asks him where he's headed and he smiles and says, someplace far away. Again, she is overcome by the sensation that he is not what he appears to be and so she quickly tells him goodbye and takes the paper plate and cup and stands at the door watching him as he slowly makes his way down the steps he's moving real slow and stops to smell the dying roses near her porch just then her phone rings and she turns to answer it but it stops before she could reach it so she quickly goes back out to the front door to see if the old man is done smelling the dead roses. However, he is no longer there. She looks down her long lane and nothing. But as slow as he was moving, he should have still been just starting down the lane on the road. Yet, he was nowhere in sight. She goes out the door and stands on her porch and looks down the road to see which way he's walking. But for miles, she sees nothing in either direction. The old man has disappeared into thin air. Again, that overwhelming, goosebumpy feeling that he wasn't really human, nor an old man, comes over her. 
and she quickly turns to go back inside. And that's when she notices the rosebush. Every single dead rose on the rosebush that the old man stopped to smell was now alive, bright, and beautiful, as if they had just blossomed. She stands there in awe at what she's witnessing and picks off the roses from the branch and then quickly runs inside and retrieves a paper plate and the cup that he ate and drank from wraps them in a plastic and sticks them in her china cabinet and places one of the roses on top of the paper plate. Nobody believed her until she pointed out the red rose still in full bloom in her china cabinet until she told us that this happened 15 years ago and the rose had not died out yet. She proudly stands by and tells everybody that she regrets not serving him on her best china in hindsight, but still has kept the paper plate and cup that he drank out of and wants to save it for the rest of her life. After all this time, she still believes that she was visited by an angel. I believe my mother and I were saved by an angel. I honestly have never told this story to anyone except for my husband because I know it makes me sound like some kind of a fruitcake. Anyways, here's what happened. I was 18 and my mother and I drove to Kansas City to go to the mall and to just make a day out of it, maybe see a movie or whatever. She was living in Overland Park at the time, so I had picked her up in my car, and we were traveling on the interstate. This was 30 years ago, so the makeup of the road may be different now, but at the time, there were six to four lanes going in either direction. I was driving on the farthest left lane, the inside lane going about 70 miles per hour. There was some road construction going on, but it was suspended at the moment and there were no workers running about. If there was a sign warning of lane closures ahead, I never saw it, and afterwards I went to look and never found one. So I'm driving 70 miles per hour on the inside lane with cars all around me, and suddenly I saw a concrete barrier blocking my lane and the next one to mine. I didn't see it until the moment I should have already nearly stopped. My mother screamed, I screamed, and I hit my brakes, knowing in my heart and mind that it wasn't going to work. There was simply too much time that had gone by, yet despite having that awful feeling knowing that there was nothing that I could do, as soon as my foot hit the pedal, we were literally sitting still, directly in front of the barrier. Stunned, I just sat there for a moment trying to breathe and figure out what my brain was refusing to acknowledge. My mom had passed out from fear. I tapped her and called her name, and she finally woke up. Did you see what happened? She nodded. The man in the back seat stopped the car from hitting the concrete wall. He's an angel. Stunned, I quickly looked, but the back seat was empty, of course. 
There was somebody in the back seat, she said. And as my mother kept going on and on about this, I was getting even more creeped out. She told me he just appeared there, and when she saw him, he told her who he was and asked her not to tell me because I wouldn't believe. Well, after our 70-mile-an-hour car came to a full stop, instead of crashing into that barrier, I am now a believer. An angel saved our lives that day. Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us each week for an exciting and inspirational podcast dealing with angel encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. So tune in each week and share it with your friends. After all, they could use a little inspiration in their life, too. That's The Watchman on the Wall podcast, and now you can find us on YouTube. And now, we have a very special treat. It's the fascinating story of a Marine wounded in Korea in 1950. Writing to his mother, he told her of a fascinating encounter he experienced in the war. And now, here's the original broadcast of A Letter from Michael. Something that he traditionally did every Christmas uh, in his years on radio called, uh, what is it, the story of Michael, a letter from Michael? A letter from Michael. A letter from Michael. Go ahead and tell us about it and how it came about, would you please? Well, it started in uh, 1960, Mark, at uh, old, the old WKMH uh, out in Dearborn. On uh, a couple of days before Christmas, I was looking for something unusual to do at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. I had uh, pre-recorded the true story of Christmas, but I was looking for something unusual, and the news director there said, I've got something for you, and he opened up his briefcase and pulled out this old rumpled piece of paper. He said, you read that on Christmas Eve. What it was, was a copy of a letter written by a young Marine to his mother while he was hospitalized after being wounded on a Korean battlefield in 1950. And it came into the hands of a Navy chaplain. The Navy chaplain read this letter before 5,000 Marines at the San Diego Naval Base in 1951, and then it found its way into this news director's hands. But the Navy chaplain talked with the boy, and he talked with the boy's mother and the members of the patrol and the sergeant in charge of the patrol, and privately, Navy chaplain Captain Father Walter Mulder, and he might be listening now with the power of your radio station, and Michael himself might be listening now because I've talked with him. Really? Privately, the good father will tell you that it's a true story. So what we did was start to read the story on the Christmas Eve of 1960 and did it for eight years uh, in Detroit. And what we say at Christmas time is we read the letter and let it stand on its own merits. And the story is the letter, a copy of the original letter from a Marine named Michael about what happened to him on a Korean battlefield in 1950. Okay, we all ready to hear it? All right, all right let's hear it right now. Dear Mom, I wouldn't dare write this letter to anyone but you because no one else would believe it. Maybe even you'll find it hard. But I've got to tell somebody. First off, I'm in a hospital. Now, don't worry. You hear me? Don't worry. I was wounded, but I'm okay. You understand? Okay. 
The doctor says I'll be up and around in a month. But that isn't what I want to tell you. Remember when I joined the Marines last year? Remember when I left how you told me to say a prayer to St. Michael every day? You really didn't have to tell me that. Ever since I can remember, you always told me to pray to St. Michael the Archangel. You even named me after him. Well, I always have. When I got to Korea, I prayed even harder. Remember the prayer you taught me? Michael, Michael of the morning, fresh cord of heaven adorning. You know the rest of it. Well, I said it every day. Sometimes when I was marching or sometimes resting. But always before I went to sleep. I even got some of the other fellas to say it. Well, one day I was with an advanced detail way up forward to the front lines. We were scouting for the commies. I was plodding along in the bitter cold. My breath was like cigar smoke. I thought I knew every guy in a patrol when alongside of me comes another Marine I'd never met before. He was bigger than any Marine I'd ever seen. He must have been six foot four and built in proportion. It gave me a feeling of security to have such a buddy near. Anyway, there we were, trudging along. The rest of the patrol spread out. Just to start a conversation, I said, Cold, ain't it? And then I laughed. Here I was with a good chance of getting killed any minute. And I'm talking about the weather. My companion seemed to understand. I heard him laugh softly. I looked at him. I've never seen you before. I thought I knew every man in the outfit. I just joined at the last minute, he replied. The name is Michael. That's so, I said, surprised. That's my name, too. I know, he said. And then went on, Michael, Michael of the morning. I was too amazed to say anything for a minute. How did he know my name in a prayer that you had taught me? And then I smiled to myself. Every guy in the outfit knew about me. Hadn't I taught the prayer to anybody to listen? By now and then, they even referred to me as St. Michael. Neither of us spoke for a time. And then, he broke the silence. We're going to have some trouble up ahead. He must have been in fine physical shape, for he was breathing so lightly I couldn't see his breath. Mine poured out in great clouds. There was no smile on his face now. Trouble ahead, I thought to myself. Well, with the commies all around us, that's no great revelation. Snow began to fall in great thick globs. In a brief moment, the whole countryside was blotted out. And I was marching in a white fog of wet, sticky particles. My companion disappeared. Michael! I shouted in sudden alarm. I felt his hand on my arm. His voice was rich and strong. This will stop shortly. His prophecy proved to be correct. In a few minutes, the snow stopped as abruptly as it had begun. The sun was a hard, shining disk. I looked back for the rest of the patrol. There was no one in sight. We lost him in that heavy fall of snow. I looked ahead as we came over a little rise. Mom, my heart stopped. There were seven of them. Seven commies in their padded pants and jackets and their funny hats. 
wasn't anything funny about him now. Seven rifles were aimed at us. Down, Michael! I screamed and hit the frozen earth. I heard those rifles fire almost as one. I heard the bullets. There was Michael. Still standing. Mom? Those guys couldn't have missed. Not at that range. I expected to see him literally blown to bits. But there he stood, making no effort to fire himself. He was paralyzed with fear. It happens sometimes, Mom. Even to the bravest. He was... He, he was like a bird. Fascinated by a snake. At least that's what I thought then. I jumped up to pull him down. And that's when I got mine. I felt a sudden flame in my chest. I often wondered what it felt like to be hit. Now, I know... I remember feeling strong arms about me. Arms that laid me ever so gently on a pillow of snow. I opened my eyes for one last look. I was dying. Maybe I was even dead. I remember thinking, well, this isn't so bad. Maybe I was looking into the sun. Maybe I was in shock. But it seemed I saw Michael standing erect again. Only this time, his face was shining with a terrible splendor. As I say, maybe it was the sun in my eyes, but... He seemed to change as I watched him. He grew bigger. His arms stretched out wide. Maybe it was the snow falling again, but there was a... brightness around him, like the wings of an angel. In his hand was a sword, a sword that flashed with a million lights. Well, that's the last thing I remember till the rest of the fellows came up and found me. I don't know how much time had passed, but now and then I had a moment's respite from the pain and fever. I remember telling them of the enemy just ahead. Where's Michael? I asked. I saw them look at one another. Where's who? Asked one. Michael. Michael, that big Marine I was walking with just before the snow squall hit us. Kid, said the sergeant. You weren't walking with anyone. I had my eyes on you the whole time. You were getting too far out. I was just going to call you in when you disappeared in the snow. He looked at me. Curiously. How'd you do it, kid? I do what? I asked, half angry despite my wound. This Marine named Michael and I were just... Son, said the sergeant kindly, I picked this outfit myself and there just ain't another Michael in it. You're the only Mike in it. He paused for a minute. Just how'd you do it, kid? We heard shots. There hasn't been a shot fired from your rifle. And there isn't a bit of lead in them seven bodies over the hill there. I didn't say anything. What could I say? I could only look, open-mouthed, with amazement. It was then the sergeant spoke again. Kid, he said gently. 
every one of those seven commies over the hill there was killed by a sword stroke. That's all I can tell you, Mom. As I say, it may have been the sun in my eyes. It may have been the cold or the pain. But that's what happened. Love. Michael. people who've written me over the years and uh, wanted to know is it still possible ever to hear the story of Michael or a letter from Michael. I call it the wrong thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I hope they'll be pleased. We've told him now for the last month that you'd be on and doing it. You ain't gonna get this copy back. Michael lives in Indiana. I think he really? Yes. Really? Yeah. Lives in Indiana. Yes, he does. Oh, that's great. Okay. I'd like very much to hear from him. I really would. Well, maybe we can arrange that. Okay. I'll see if I can reach him. I haven't talked with him in a couple of years. All right. He'll tell you it's true, though. Well, a lot of people have wanted to hear it over the years, and there it is. And I'm just going to hang on to the tape now. Do I have your permission to play it at will every year? Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> okay, Lee, thanks again, and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Merry Christmas. Lee Allen, ladies and gentlemen. Are you looking for a good quality used car, but don't want to pay an arm and a leg? Well, come into Rainy Used Cars. We have the largest selection in the Southeast. Whether you want a pickup or a quality SUV from mom, you'll find a variety of vehicles to choose from. We even finance. So come in today. You'll find a rainy used cars located near you. again for listening and if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends also give us a like we welcome any comments or suggestions you might have we also ask you to subscribe so that you will be notified of all our future episodes thanks again and we'll see you next time on the watchman on the wall podcast (laughs) 